0: Hello girls, this is episode 2, season 4 of Corolla Opera Podcast. My name is Tae Kim, ensemble pianist, and I'll be your host for this episode. As you might have noticed, the last podcast was erroneously labeled as the fifth episode of season 3 rather than the first episode of our new fourth season. My apologies for the error. Today we're here with Curtis Hughes to talk about, well, making a sandwich. Thank you for joining us today. Your first collaboration with Guerrilla Opera was Sayurain Sojo, a light tragedy reimagining the vice presidential debate between Sarah Palin and Joe Biden in the 2008 election. Aside from the obvious difference in the topic, what was the experience like the second time around with Guerrilla in Let's Make a Sandwich?
1: Well, it was certainly good to have the memory and the experience of having collaborated with Guerrilla Opera once before on a a larger scale project. Although this this project shared with the older project that it was quite strange in its conception, a odd concept to try to implement. But uh, at the same time, knowing who I was working with, uh, both in terms of the organization and in terms of the individuals, really helped give me the confidence to do some things that I otherwise wouldn't have dared to attempt both sort of musically and dramatically. Um, It was such a wonderful idea uh, to kind of highlight the role of a director in a a production by having two different directors direct the same material. Uh, And I was excited about that uh, from the get-go, but we needed to come up with raw material to kind of link the whole thing together. So I was thrilled to be involved in the early discussions where we settled on a very strange uh common point of reference which was this informational film (laughs) about how to make a tuna fish sandwich an open-faced tuna fish sandwich i should clarify
0: (laughs) a rare bit Uh, apparently
1: (laughs) right yeah tuna rarebit (laughs) (laughs) um and i have to credit a former student of mine who's a fantastic composer by the name of ethan parcell uh who as a first-year undergraduate student, wanted to compose some music to sort of go along with this film that he had found on YouTube, Uh, ultimately a project he did not pursue, uh, although he has pursued many very interesting projects since then, Um, uh, and uh, suddenly that that film came back to mind a a couple of years later when uh, Gurulabra was searching for uh, subject matter, and I, I kind of brought it up not necessarily thinking it would be taken all that seriously. Uh, And then, uh, you know, Rudy seemed interested. Mike seemed interested. Everyone in the organization seemed on board with it. So I I did check in with my former student and confirmed that he had no plans to do anything with this material. Although, if he had, I'm sure it would have been something completely different from what Rudy did and what I did. Um, So... um, That's how it got started.
0: (laughs) Wow. How was that process coming up with an opera just based on that four-minute infomercial?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it felt, I certainly um, separated the process of uh, writing the libretto from uh, that of writing the music. Um, In the past, sometimes I've gone back and forth uh, when I'm not collaborating with a a poet, or a librettist, or somebody who's writing words, I, uh, if I'm supplying the words, which is something I'm not always comfortable doing, uh, it's often a back and forth, you know, some music, some words, try to make them fit together. But this, I sort of wrote what felt like a short play, like a very, very compact one-act play, and then proceeded to set it to music, and and felt free to make many changes to it, as the music seemed to uh, compel me to do, Um, I'm not a playwright, I'm not really much of an opera librettist, but for some reason with this subject matter, writing the libretto was amazingly quick and sort of, uh, not too strained, uh, partly because I think I knew that guerrilla opera would throw themselves into realizing this with such conviction, uh, that it could be quite strange and sort of both darkly tragic and comic at the same time. And that everybody would be comfortable with that. Uh, I think there was some Samuel Beckett in the mix as I was <laughs> trying to write. Maybe some UNESCO, uh, Carol Churchill, certainly um, other other playwrights who I'm familiar with who I think probably informed what I was doing a little bit.
0: I mean, it flows uh, it flows so nicely for sure. I mean, it, it, uh, but of course the two directors had a, a complete in you know, a different take takes on it. Uh, did having those directors affect the writing itself? Uh, not necessarily the libretto, I guess maybe the libretto too, but did that, having that in the back of your mind, did that affect uh, the compositional process?
1: Yes, I'm not sure if I knew who both of the directors were going to be at first. Eventually I knew, and I knew Copeland from his work with Guerrilla Opera on prior productions, though I hadn't worked with him personally, Uh, and I had never met Giselle before. Uh, It was great to work with her. They they had such incredibly different approaches. It's probably good that I'd had this experience once before of writing a opera with a fair amount of stage direction in which the stage direction wound up being changed quite a bit in performance. Mm -hmm. So that, although I was imagining the staging quite Uh, specifically and precisely while I was coming up with the material, I also knew that it probably would be changed. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of thrilled that, that what happened was there was one interpretation that was more or less true to what I had written in a sort of a a straightforward, comprehensible way. Right. And one which was more sort of aggressively defying what was on the page. (laughs) Um, those two kind of played off of each other. Uh, in, a, in a way that interested me a lot. I wouldn't have wanted to uh, miss out on that contrast.
0: Right. Um, I would think an, uh, opera will have multiple directors in its lifetime, you know, but not necessarily on the same night, same stage and the same cast. Um, right. What was that like working with two directors simultaneously?
1: As I recall, I was, I think, purposely... Not involved in the early stages of of uh, the production being put together, okay. um, uh, which is probably good it's, it's probably too many cooks in the kitchen, right. <laughs> but as I recall the the directors did not interact um, they may have had rehearsals on the same days, i'm not sure, but they certainly weren't at the same time. The rehearsals did not were not concurrent. Um, only the cast knew really in detail what was going on in both versions. (laughs) The instrumentalists had some idea, but were, you know, I think visually focused on learning their parts and uh, trying to stay together. So they weren't able to entirely watch how things were playing out on stage. Um, So the the actors, did, the the singers, the the cast did an amazing job of um, keeping it to themselves. Maybe they discussed it among themselves but they did not, for instance, let on to Giselle what Copeland was up to, and they didn't let Copeland know what what Giselle was up to. Oh, wow. So, you know, it could have happened that both directors might have done something very similar. Right. Um, uh, But the ways in which these productions played off of one another was something that I think everyone was purposely kept in the dark about until late in the process, which I I think was by design. I think that was part of the the idea, it's let's make a sandwich, but it's also sort of let's make a sandwich where, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing.
0: <laughs> right, that, that's fascinating. That's definitely fascinating. So when did you actually come into play in the production? It must have been towards the end then. Did you end up just seeing the final product?
1: Well, in a sense, I had no meaningful involvement in the in the production. I was there to, you know, correct musical mistakes and, you know, things like that, um, make sure everything was, um, as I, you know, catching errors that I might've made in the score, for instance, but more or less, it was just my helplessly watching it play out, which was kind of a, it, it was really a totally unique experience in my professional life and a really wonderful experience. Not easy at times because, uh, well, I remember one time when I think Giselle said to me, I'm going to mutilate your aria. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I think she intended on on sort of preparing me psychologically for how, how much her direction was going to sort of uh, be different from what I might have foreseen. And I, I was disturbed by that comment at first, but at <laughs> the same time I had seen... Right exactly, uh, but I had at the same time seen uh Copeland's version uh coming together, and so i I knew that uh whatever happened to the aria in one case, it was going to be um, <laughs> not the only time we we heard it and uh, uh the yeah the uh, the mutilation she was referring to involved uh um ketchup and and bread and other things um, <laughs> right but Um, there, it did seem to me, there was one thing that I had involvement in later on, uh, in the, in the phase during which I was mostly helpless. Uh, I did feel that there was a, a logic to Copeland's version being presented first, and then, um, and then we would hear Giselle's version. And, even even making that declaration i think went uh, to some degree against the spirit of the project was to, which which was to kind of allow things to play out without that sort of invent, invent intervention right uh but but i think that we ultimately it was a good decision to do it that way right, um,
0: right how was the experience different from seeing sojo
1: different again in that i knew more about who i was working with <laughs> okay, and had could I could rely on knowing that things I had tried out in say eight sojo uh, could still work, or you know, similar sort of technical things could could work. Also, a much smaller piece of work for me. I mean, it, right. it's a less than less than twenty minutes of music, so as opposed to seventy minutes of music. So it was a, right. a very focused process for me. Fewer singers, fewer instrumentalists. Right. Uh, there was the added. Uh, Element of uh, the pre-recorded electronic sound, uh, which which gave it a different feeling. Uh, I think it's really important for people to see the "Let's Make a Sandwich" video beforehand. Otherwise, they'll have no <laughs> you know
0: context. I think I want to say I never. I don't think I've seen that video because I remember. Because I mean, as you know, as an ensemble pianist, I'm just given a score. So right way. I, right. I do the rhythm, I try to get the notes, you know, and I try to get the singers together. And that's all I see. And the next time I see them, it's the final production, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing it, I'm just kind of going, this is bizarre. What, what does this have to do with Let's Make a Sandwich? And I never thought to think that I should have watched a, a YouTube video. So before this interview, I ended up watching the video. And i okay. like, oh, it makes sense now. Right,
1: right. Yeah, both Rudy's opera and mine are definitely sequels, in a sense, right. to, the, to the video. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because, I mean, you can't feasibly make, quote unquote, an opera l- uh, literally by for that four minutes uh, infomercial, you know? Right. Uh, one, I, I guess one could, possibly, but it would be too short of an opera. But it was <laughs> this... Um, I remember the feeling of watching that show, you know, live, I was so dumbfounded, but I mean, in awe too, just because everything was so vastly different, you know, (laughs) in so many ways. If, Um, if,
1: if if there are a substantial proportion of people who are in the audience who didn't, hadn't seen the video beforehand, I imagine they would, they were extremely disoriented. I, I, I think that that's, in any future uh, presentation of it, I think that's an ins- absolutely essential ingredient. <laughs> yes.
0: But, but you know, to be honest, that didn't really uh, bar from enjoying the uh, pieces. To be honest, just because it was, oh, okay. just, uh, just because productions was, were just so convincing and they were so different, even though the music was exactly the same, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of thinking, wow. This is just this is fascinating, you know. It's, it's so fascinating how two people can have such vastly different ideas and a single entity, in a sense. I, that's why I thought uh, both productions were comp- so really successful in the sense that they evoke such wide ranges of emotions uh, from the audience. Well, What are your thoughts uh, for the two productions?
1: If I try to imagine what it would be like if I didn't know the music and I didn't know the libretto. Uh, and certainly, if that were the case, then the first of the two is the one that I would be able to make more sense of. Which, again, is, I think, why it was good that it was the first of the two. <laughs> um, but really wonderful decision on the part of Guerrilla Opera to pick two directors with such different sensibilities, I think, for that, for that reason. Um, uh, if I had seen the second version of the opera first, uh, uh, Giselle's version... I know I would have enjoyed some of the complete sort of surreal disorientation I would have experienced
0: right. um
1: but i but I think I especially appreciated that having uh, had a little bit more um sort of ground to stand on in the in the first version but but uh uh Copeland also was able to sort of play up some of the slapstick in a way that i that I really appreciated right. um there was um there was a certain amount of almost comic timing uh, built into the music. um, And that sort of is invariable. And I was, I I loved finding out that different directors could make different flavors of comedy out of that comic, uh, out of those moments without actually having to change anything in the score.
0: I thought they were so wonderfully done.
1: Uh, What were some of the most enjoyable moments? Um, Many enjoyable moments. So the, the, uh, that first discussion with, with Giselle certainly is memorable. The um, line I already quoted to you. <laughs> I'm going to mutilate your aria. <laughs> uh, she knew...
0: I wonder if you're ever going to hear such from a director. <laughs> oh.
1: It was, you, you know, it sounds like a sort of a... It, I think when I've told that story before, it sounds like I'm trying to garner sympathy, you know, or, but... But in fact, it was a wonderful moment in in many ways. I, right. I was unsettled by it, but I was also, you know, kind of excited to find out what does that mean. <laughs> right, right. Um, the, uh, I enjoyed uh, witnessing the the sort of befuddlement of the instrumentalists as they gradually became aware of what kind of mayhem was going on around them and was going to be going on around them. <laughs> Watching it sort of dawn upon them, uh, especially as they had to, to varying degrees uh, roles sort of in the drama. Um, right, they right. became incorporated into it in a certain way. I thought that was it was fun to see that play out. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, but he, but also getting yeah. to know Rudy's opera uh, right. and hearing it over and over and over again because I attended. You know, I think I heard his opera ten times. Oh, you okay. know, including multiple rehearsals of the different versions. Uh, over the course of, of the last 10 days or so, <laughs> and uh, it, the, 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 the way in which I started to hear linkages between the two operas musically, which of course were also fortuitous, not planned, right. um, that was sort of fun to, to, to start to hear those things uh, and to see how the different characterizations I think we're influencing each other across the different operas and the different productions of them. Wow, Um, biggest challenges? (laughs) In composing or in in anything the production phase?
0: Yeah, production, composing. I would imagine composing could not have been easy either. I mean, especially going off of that four minute video about making a
1: tuna sandwich. (laughs) Yes, coming up with the idea for how to make a kind of a short, play as a sequel to that was there was more deciding what not to do and narrowing it down that was that was difficult uh that was not overall a lot of um turmoil in generating that part of it but then the follow-through making it sort of musically cogent in the ways that I wanted it to be and sort of scattered in in the ways that I also wanted it to be um, certain things that I had trouble figuring out how to notate that I hadn't tried before. There's a, with all of the sort of uh, comical music involving the, um, the man in the sandwich shop who Brian Church uh, uh, depicts, um, who is sort of uh, adding confusion to the scene There's this thing that keeps happening with uh, almost a drum beat accompanying him that is always playing in the wrong tempo relative to the rest of the music. So just a bit of a technical challenge for figuring out how to notate some of these things that I wanted to have happen. Uh, And then uh, I'm not all that experienced as a composer of electronic music. I've dabbled in electronic music for more than 20 years, almost always without being satisfied with what I've come up with. I think I've, I've got one composition for pre-recorded sound and solo instrument that I'm actually happy with and everything else I've thrown out the window. So uh, coming up with electronic sound for this that was uh, intended to be somewhat evocative of the time of the original videos, almost to sound like electronic experimental music of the 1950s Mm. was an interesting challenge. I wound up finding uh, a mock software platform that sort of mimicked a 1950s era electronic music studio uh, And was using very basic building blocks like sine waves and things to create something that hopefully would sound dated in the right way (laughs) very cool very cool
0: i mean it definitely added another dimension to the opera you know i felt especially from the copeland point of view i i i thought the opera felt linear in some ways but the electronics helped coming out of that linearness um that was really yeah i i I really thought it was really well done and to be completely honest with you and then the and of course, Giselle's take on that uh, same effect was a whole other way of adding another spice to uh, already, uh, what was it? The, I guess the bizarre way of understanding the word sandwich, I guess. Um, <laughs> yes. yeah, uh, it, it, it's marvelous. Um, do you have anything else to add to the opera?
1: Uh, well, I... I know that uh, you're interviewing me rather than the other way around, but I am curious whether it's something you want to talk about. I mean, you've you've been responsible for making many miracles happen uh, with productions that are, you know, coming together on a tight timetable. And I'm wondering what your experience was a little bit, and and what were the challenge. If I'm curious about what you found to be most challenging in this instance. I. think when it comes to uh, my job is pretty simple
0: uh, i always get to score uh when they, whenever they said they're gonna send the score so i get the score and i cry a little bit because <laughs> I all <yell> those lines <laughs> and try to play them on the piano um but like i said it was just everything is just so bare bone well, what i do as in I rehearse with the singers and that's it. Uh, maybe Mike will be there to just, to kind of help with the rhythm here and there. But mm-hmm. uh, we just sitting there, uh, getting the notes down, getting the rhythm down, getting make sure that the singers are ready to go for over to rehearse with the instrumentalists. So I don't get to see any staging, in nothing. okay, nothing. not at all. So I all like, I see them as just, you know, uh, just uh, regular people, you know, and I see them on the street. And then I go to the show that's that's my next step and i go to the, i go to the show i I'm just always always just uh blown away by yeah uh how how they uh, the production of it and it's just because i just yeah uh it's always from the from from the uh, very beginning and I don't see any of the process in the middle and then I see the end and it's just it just blows my mind all the time and with especially something like this, I remember um I'm trying to remember. I remember getting the both scores and I knew Rudy beforehand. uh, But even then, just kind of trying to see how uh, how, how both of the pieces were different in so many ways, obviously. But I could kind of find some of the links here and there. And I'm kind of thinking that's actually pretty fascinating, you know, having to come from a a singular source as a four minute infomercial. And there's somehow there's that linkage, you know, and I'm sure it's not as if you guys sat in the same table and be like, okay, we're gonna link this together. And that wasn't the case, but it was just really fascinating to see even the little snippets of um, commonalities between the the two pieces. And uh, it's just, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, Uh, especially just because, it's just, it's about the same subject, but a completely different take on it. Um, and now, of course, you know, many years later, I have better understanding of. <laughs> especially <laughs> after watching that video, I'm like, oh, okay, a very bit. I get it. <laughs> but yeah, so putting the spotlight back to you, with the looming presidential election, are you writing another opera based on upcoming debates? <laughs>
1: I am not. <laughs> I, but I am intrigued by uh, the opportunity to hear and see Joe Biden uh, in in a debate, in a one on one debate context like okay. that. Again, so it's sort of a, a musical interest among other things. But <laughs> but no, no. I that was a that was something to do once and. Um, I, I get asked that question a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure. And I, yeah, and I, I, it's not something, I'm so glad that my second opportunity to collaborate with Guerrilla Opera was with something so totally different.
0: Right. right. <laughs> uh, because I mean, uh, um, I don't know how true this might be, but in, in history class, music history class, I remember learning about uh, Dmitry Shostakovich and he is always introduced as the 20th century political composer and and i'm thinking something like this when you tackle on you know something like uh, a presidential debate and especially now uh, when uh, well, when the state of the country is is, is in is like this then you yeah. you, you are I guess you are end up being la- being labeled in that sense as a quote unquote the political composer. Were you ever labeled as something as such after that opera?
1: Uh, I I even labeled myself as such it may, it's quite some years beforehand. Oh, okay. Um, I was in the early aughts. I was writing music that I considered to be political. I even was uh, the co. Uh, um, organizer of a political music f- small-scale festival of sorts uh, on two occasions and realized that that's that that was not something I, I did not want to write music that sort of had a, uh, a polemic kind of aspect to it. Uh, by the time I wrote Say It Ain't So Joe I was very interested in political subject matter but not in espousing a particular political view, even if, even though I have strong political views.
0: Right.
1: Uh, I don't. To to me, uh, let's make a sandwich is not a political statement. <laughs> Neither it's saying it, ain't so Joe.
0: But you they're know, I informed do by politics. a full sandwich. You know, I mean no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly right. That's the debate we need to have, right? Would you like it open or do you
1: like closed? Um, I remember oh, yeah. going to a, 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 I remember on one of these concerts of political music that I helped to put together. Um, this was during the, the George W. Bush years. Right. Um, sorry about the car alarm we're hearing okay. nearby. It's okay. Uh, there was a, a composition for solo bass drum. No, I think it was bass drum and, and saxophone uh, by another composer that was incredibly abrasive and acoustically, just sonically very, very interesting. And Uh, and I was really enjoying hearing it during the dress rehearsal. Uh, it was, you know, fortissimo bass drum hits and, uh, screaming multiphonics and uh, very harsh and, and to my ear, very interesting. And then during the concert, the composer introduced the piece saying, this piece is about McCarthyism. And I sort of all of a sudden felt deflated. Uh, It, it suddenly took away so much from not from what the music, uh, all of a sudden, the music was merely an expression of rage about McCarthyism. Right, <laughs> uh, right. not exactly timely rage, given you know it's the early two thousands. <laughs> but um, I, that's I mean, if somebody wants to re, if somebody wants to write music where the possibility is encouraged to sort of read these things into it, I think that's great. Right, but I I'm not wanting to be as a listener or as a composer constrained by a particular very specific political sentiment
0: right right, right. um i definitely felt you know going especially going from the sailing sojo to let's make a sandwich i mean that has to be yeah, that, that's a different road man i mean i have to say you know one's a <laughs> complete you know um I, I, shall i say a serious you know a topic and uh, I'm not saying, you know, Tuna Rarebit is not a serious topic, but <laughs> did you feel like you had to cleanse yourself from the <laughs> political writing of an opera?
1: I suppose maybe to some degree. I, I wrote a, a piece of chamber music, as was a sextet after Say It Ain't So, Joe uh, called Verbiage, which used melodic lines that were transcriptions of political speeches in a way similar to okay. what I had done in the opera, although without the voices. Elizabeth Warren, actually, (laughs) um, (laughs) one of my uh, uh, transcriptions that I used. And um, I thought I was getting away from being political by simply using that as musical material and not using the recordings of the politicians. I've subsequently decided if that piece is ever going to be performed again, I actually should use the recordings of the politicians, Uh, make it a little clearer what I was trying to do. but certainly it was refreshing to write something operatic that, that did not in an overt way touch on, on politics. Right.
0: Right. And not to mention, you know, I, I love tuna sandwich, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I hope you like tuna sandwich too. But.
1: I, as it happens, I do, but it's, but I think there is actually a political, uh, there's a lot of politics of the time. This video is a cult- cultural artifact, com- contains. That is true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an infomercial of sorts. Right. You know, they didn't have the term back then, but right. the, it seems to me that they're trying to find the, the way to prepare a tuna sandwich that requires the maximum labor for a woman in the kitchen. <laughs> and you know, it's it's not an yeah. easy, you know, it's not a quick way to make a tuna fish sandwich. There are yeah, easier ways to go
0: about it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I remember watching the video, uh, finally, I'm just kind of thinking, huh,
1: things were pretty, you know, different back then, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty really different back then. The patronizing tone of the announcer and mm-hmm. everything else. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, but that was what 70
0: years, 70 years ago. My goodness, seventy years ago. Do you want to talk about anything else? Uh, do you have, do you have any other projects coming up that you're excited about that you want to share?
1: Um, well, uh, it's difficult always to know what to compose when we don't know what live performance is going to look like in the in the near future. But I've got uh, older, longer-term projects that are coming to to fruition. Uh, CD project that's coming out in March. Maybe that'll be around the time that we start getting back to live performance as well. Um, but there is, one, um, um, there is one vocal work on that uh, disc that is neither political nor absurdist in quite the way Uh, it's a a Twin Peaks inspired composition uh, that I wrote a a couple of years ago. Uh, It sets some text from Proust, but it's really about Twin Peaks, uh, the TV show. Uh, Not that you have to be a fan of the show in order to make sense (laughs) of the music. In that case, I wouldn't ask people to watch dozens of hours of television in order to prepare to listen to it, <laughs> uh, that the piece is called Tulpa. The, the, the disc will be coming out in March on New Focus. At least oh, I beautiful. believe it will, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Uh, how did um, COVID affect your writing? Um, for me, you know, uh, know as a pianist, it's just, I had ups and downs. You know, there are some good days where I could have a lot of you know, motivation, inspiration to um, practice, to get to know, uh, to learn more but there's some down days where it just becomes kind of like, when am I going to perform? Who am I going to perform for? And it's when, and when I don't have the answer to those questions it becomes kind of discouraging. Um, I wonder if you uh, have the similar experience during this uh, trying times. Uh,
1: yes. I, and, you know, it's uh it's, it's really fun to have this conversation, uh, right now. It's, it's a, it's a high point. It's a, it's a bright spot in the middle of, you know, a lot of, uh, isolation, uh, to, to get to talk, uh, uh, you know, as musicians. And I, I, I like to maintain the bright tone, but really it's hard to say anything that's too positive about doing creative work right now. Uh, I have not found it to be an inspiring time. I need some isolation to be a good composer or to be, you know, consistently creative. But this is, uh, not, not even knowing what the future holds makes it very difficult to know what to do. So I've, you know, I've written some solo pieces, I've written some small-scale things, it, it's it's not, um, it's a good time for, um, you know, revising old pieces, sort of taking stock, Yeah, um, it's a great time for, uh, you know, self-doubt. <laughs> Yeah. Great time. Yeah. Great time for uh, second guessing guess oneself.
0: It. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, I think the question. I this this might be a little depressing but I I think the question uh question I've been asking is what's the point? You know, what's mm-hmm. the point of doing this? Um, but I think uh, you know one thing that kind of gets me going and, and, and uh, is that you know every two weeks you know Guerrilla Opera we have uh, we have a Zoom meeting and mm-hmm. we say meeting, but it's more kind of like, hey, how are you, how are you guys doing? How's everybody doing? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's, just, it's to talk about how, um, essentially our lives during those two weeks uh, and just to see how we can sustain uh, this kind of work uh, in the trying times. And, but the problem, not the problem, but but the great thing about the, uh, those kind of conversations is that one, you get to talk to people and, uh, because socialization is definitely needed I I do feel I mean as much as I do feel and as a pianist I do feel like isolation and I'm sure for you as a composer we both need some sort of isolation to do our work uh, but like you said you know during this time it, it becomes when the future is just so muddy and so murky it just becomes really difficult to um, concentrate per se you know Mm -hmm. um, but having that uh, having uh, to talk to Gorilla Opera and how they are coming up with uh, with all these projects so that it kind of keeps me going in some ways too just to see how I can do uh, more to inspire and motivate you know not uh, not just me but others as well Um, and that's one of the reasons why you know I kind of Threw myself out there to do a podcast, even though I, I sincerely, you know, I sincerely hate my voice, and to say the least. So it's just kind of like. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> I think that's a universal. I think everybody is shocked by the sound of their own right? voice. Right. This yeah. is why
0: I don't listen to recordings because I, I, I see that <laughs> th- th- that's fake news. It's all fake news. You know? <laughs> no, but uh, but it's it has just, been a great. No, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, it has been a great time for thinking back on live performances that have been especially uh exciting. And and from all, you know, recent and, and going back some years. Uh I was thinking recently of a performance that you and Aliana did uh some years ago of a big song cycle by Andy Voris. Um, oh, and, um Cleopatra uh, Yeah, it was a it was a intimate crowd and um uh I don't remember what time of year it was, but I, I, I seem think to think that was a Super Bowl. I want to say what
0: I remember. Oh, it, yeah, we, I don't think we got. it. it. I, I don't think that we, as in the Patriots, got in. So I because I remember I did a concert with Aliana. Yeah, I think it was Super Bowl.
1: It, it was, was an extraordinary Sunday. concert. It was just one of my. It's just one of my favorite sort of live music memories to to turn back wow. to. Oh, well, thank you.
0: <laughs> my goodness, but she's wonderful, man. She. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we did a concert over at, the, um, uh, what was it, the Boston Conservatory, I some kind of like an alumni concert, and it basically it was to showcase uh, improvisation in some ways. And I, I told her, okay, come up with, you know, uh, well, uh, you know, three words, and somehow she came up with three words, and we said, okay. We're gonna do four movement work. We're gonna improvise four movements, and we just kind of came up with some kind of you know, ideas what to do, and we improvised. You know, mm-hmm. and it was just such an, an uh, what was it an easy thing to do because she's just so easygoing, but so driven at the same time, and it's it makes my life, it makes my job much easier. So, yeah, I'm definitely lucky to work with her. But yeah, it's just—I mean—I've been thinking about you know a lot of uh, live concerts, you know, back in the days, and I'm hoping, you know, uh, as a pianist, maybe I sh- I can take an advantage in the sense that uh, I could perform with the mask on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um,
0: and and considering uh, considering I didn't I don't I never liked you know long concerts anyway. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, an hour is long, more than enough. But yeah, I, it's something where you know I, I do feel the need to perform, you know, more and more, um, and especially uh, the fact that I, you know, as much as this keyboard that I have, that I got from my uh, colleague's friend, um, I, she lent it to me for you know, I mean, for a long time, and. I haven't essentially played on a piano for a good five months now and that has, oh, that's hard that yeah. has affected me quite a bit uh, but, but this keeps me going you know even though it's still I mean so it's a viable keyboard but still I still want that you know piano feeling uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to going back to work and hmm. and very scared at the same time um, yeah I don't know I really don't know what's going to happen. So. But,
1: well, I I have to trust that uh, there are safe ways to do at least some. Some of these activities you mentioned the hybrid, yeah, hi- education, yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
0: at, at, at NEC. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I think we'll do what we can. Um, and and the thing is, during that, uh, even though it's it does sound bleak in so many ways i think uh doing these kind of things to uh, even th- this kind of podcast essentially is some kind of an outlet you know at least for me uh i mean and just talking to you and 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 i'm already inspired in the sense that you know you, you have all these ideas and how to go about you know something as Uh, mundane is four minute you know infomercial and making an opera out of it i mean it's just it's quite inspiring and um i'm learning a lot quite a bit and if if look if covid never happened i would never be doing this so i'm i i should be saying i should be thankful for that in that sense you know um
1: this is wonderful yeah Yeah, this is this is a lot of fun i think this is very worth worth doing (laughs) yeah i
0: think so too i think so too well thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you at the watch party
1: yeah i'll be, i've got it in my calendar it's great. wonderful to talk to you
0: great same here same here
1: and this concludes this episode of
0: girl opera podcast thank you for tuning in and hope to see you at the watch party of let's make a sandwich by curtis hughes and rodolph Royan on on september
1: 24th till then